0: Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Guinea radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Similar to last week's Rollins Band Hard Volume episode, this one also has a tie-in to an earlier episode. Actually, two earlier episodes. Randy and I are going to be tackling one of the more controversial records to come out in the last 30 years, S.O.D. Speak English or Die. This ties in with the Dan Wilker episode from way back in the beginning, and also with the crossover episode. S.O.D. definitely was one of the first bands to mix hardcore punk and thrash metal, thus spawning what's known as crossover. Anyway, we have a lot of fun with this, and... We're not trying to uh, hurt anyone's feelings or any of that sort of thing. Um, you know, we're just about music, creativity, freedom, and all that sort of jazz. Probably one of the most controversial records as time paints a picture of the band Stormtroopers of Death. Speak English or Die.
1: That's a strong statement, I think. Especially in this day and age. Took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Especially in this day and age.
0: A time when so few people seem to have a sense of humor about things. And um, that's why we're talking about Speak English or Die by Stormtroopers of Death. Once again, this ties back to uh, one of our earlier episodes, the crossover episode. Yeah. Where you and I discussed uh, crossover thrash. And we mentioned S.O.D. as being one of those bands who were um, you know, purveyors of that, like on the, the forefront of cross-pollinating hardcore punk with thrash metal. So that's uh, this week's episode of Metal Matters is a classic records episode covering Speak
1: English or Die by Stormtroopers of Death. I really can't think of a when you say the term classic records, I'm sure a lot of people disagree with records that we think are classic and that's fine, you know. But this is truly a classic record. Um, This record changed the game, I think, for a lot of people. Even though there may have been a few bands doing the crossover gig before this, the timeline's very similar, so it's, you know, you could argue either way. But this record, you know, when it came out, was a big deal considering the members of Anthrax, you know, the major label backing and all that kind of stuff. I think this got a lot of attention. It was a very influential record and kind of changed the game on the crossover.
0: But also, just to reiterate, crossover maybe should be in uh, quotation marks, I think, from this point on. Because, what I, you know, once again, what Randy said, this is what we consider classic records. You know, people were making recommendations of how come you don't do this, how come you don't do that. And I'm like, maybe we will get to that at some point. But also, maybe we won't, because it might not be a record that we want to talk about. So this is basically reflection of the things that we think are important. And um, if you agree, that's sick. And if you don't agree, hey, man, I'm not going to say I'm sorry, but
1: (laughs) that's how life goes. You have your right. You have the right to disagree. Yeah.
0: You know, everyone's got an opinion, even despite what some people want to say to you these days. Everyone has an opinion still. (laughs) So some of the uh, particulars about this record, um, it was the debut record of uh, S.O.D., the debut, debut full length. And was recorded with leftover studio time from the Anthrax Records Spreading the Disease produced by Alex Perialis and Scott Ian. Recorded between July fifth. Recorded between July second and fifth, nineteen eighty five. So that's like a, you know, a wham bam, thank you, ma'am session. That's recorded like one
1: of my, <laughs> are my sessions.
0: Recorded and mixed in that period of time. Yeah. Release date. August thirtieth, nineteen eighty-five, on Megaforce Records, and oh yeah, the studio was Pyramid Sound Studios in Ithaca, New York.
1: Yes, um, yeah. When you look back at uh, that record that it was recorded in, you know, one, three or four days, whatever, that's pretty uh, inconceivable. Considering, you know, I, I don't know the the particulars on this, but you know, they like you said, they they used the leftover studio time from Anthrax Among the Living how long you think anthrax was in there making among the living I oh mean, probably months right, i imagine right right you know, at least for four or five weeks at least you know right and uh in a lot of ways the sod record maybe had more impact and was a bigger record than the anthrax record which goes to show you man sometimes you can do stuff with the punk rock timeline and it could still be important
0: you know well it's funny that you mentioned that because i probably listen to sod more than i listen to anthrax over the last like couple of decades um you know for what it's worth i've never been the biggest anthrax fan like i i appreciate their music i like their classic era of the band um you know i never was fully able to embrace whoever was singing for them i always thought the vocals were really the um the, the sort of the link that Proved to be uh, problematic for me in the band The riffs I thought were sick I thought they had really solid songwriting But the uh, I never got behind I wish they had a, a more extreme vocalist in the band, I think
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I like Anthrax a little more than you But I, I kind of feel the same way I mean, I was more of an early Metallica Slayer guy than I was Anthrax But I think Among the Living is a pretty classic record uh, I like the stuff before that Everything else after that, Stadia Euphoria on, you know, could live without. I thought Stadia
0: Euphoria was pretty good, but definitely Among the Living was probably, like, that's probably my go-to by now. I actually saw them on on that tour uh, back in the 80s, and um, the lineup on that bill was Anthrax, Exodus, and Celtic Frost. Not bad. I missed Celtic Frost, though. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) There's this girl that... Uh, you know, I was like trying to, trying to get with this chick. Right. And, um, she's like, Oh, I'll go to, I want to go to that show. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's go. We have to leave at this time because there's a band that's an important band. I want to see that's going on first. I want to make sure we get there in time. So she was taking all this time, getting ready, <clears throat> you know, putting on her leather jacket and everything and making sure her hair was like the right sort of like voluminousness to it. You know, cause this is the eighties, you know, women had bigger hair back then. And um, because of her, uh, you know, getting ready, quote unquote, I missed all of all of the um, Celtic Frost set and the first track of Exodus. (laughs) That's that's terrible, man. Yeah. (laughs) But hey, that's life, you know. But you know what? That era of Celtic Frost, I believe if the timelines match up was the Cold Lake era of the band which some of you out there might think is a drag. But I actually like that record. So do I. I enjoy that record. Yeah, the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck is this? But then, I don't know, as time went on, I was like, yeah, this is still Celtic Frost. It's still Tom, you know, Gabriel Fisher playing, writing songs, and maybe exploring a different avenue that maybe a lot of people don't appreciate. You know, and... But it's still... still, better than other bands in that in that sort of genre in my opinion you know and it's it's unfortunate that he's sort of like turned his back on that record because i would kind of like to hear some of those songs performed you know heavier you know what i mean i don't think you're getting a cold lake tour no think, definitely it's not <laughs> there's not going to be ever a reissue of that record or anything it's just going to b- remain in obscurity
1: nope. you know we could go down the list of people uh, you know, respected big name musicians, uh, that cite this record as a huge influence. Um, and we'll get there (laughs) someday, but I think we might as well get it out of the way. Now (laughs) there's, uh, some people think this record is controversial and maybe offensive. Um, we did a tour last year together. Yes. And, uh, had the privilege of sitting in on an interview you did with Danny Lilker. Ah, uh,
0: yes. Another another um, you know sort of co- connection to an earlier episode was the episode with interview with Dan Lilker in Rochester, New York, is the town that he currently lives in.
1: Yes, and uh, it was you know uh, I'm a huge fan of Danny's music, and uh, we you know we just got to sit there and witness the interview and have lunch with him, and it was a great experience. And obviously, you brought up SOD. Um. And of course, had to go to all the fun stuff that surrounds, you know, the lyrics and this and that, and uh, just to pull a quick quote out of that, out of the interview from Danny is like, "If you took that stuff super seriously, you deserve to, and you could fuck off." <laughs> and I just want to say, my opinion on this is exactly in line with Danny's. I think the world this record was had these uh, was controversial when it came out definitely it was yeah i don't think this record could come out today no there'd be all sorts of like um articles
0: written uh you know videos being uh, shot on uh you know youtube's like vlogs you know stuff like that would be made there'd be uh someone in metal sucks would would try to like call someone a nazi in the band uh that's the kind of stuff that would happen if this record were to come out now
1: and ironically, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine earlier this week about this record and me doing this episode, and uh, he brought up an interesting perspective that back when this record came out, you had things like the PMRC and Tipper Gore and the, you know fuckheads like that trying to stick their fingers into art, censor art. Now, that wouldn't be an issue. The the metal community and the fans, quote unquote. Would be the bigger issue of trying to censor this record? Yeah, totally. It's just kind of weird how that has almost come full circle, not in a good way.
0: Well, I also liken that to um, just you know that same period of time with like Howard Stern and uh, you know people like him, who fought so hard against you know censorship, you know And even going back further, artists like Lenny Bruce, whose life was completely ruined by legislation and, you know, uh, offending people and censorship and, uh, you know, vulgarity and all this obscenity stuff. And now that all that stuff has been, has gone away on the legal front, the fact that people are censoring, they're telling people they can't say certain things because they don't like it is a complete slap in the face to all the suffering that these other people have done in the past. And I'm not saying that this is for everybody. I'm not saying that you should go out there and listen to stormtroopers of death. And you know, like it's a record that's not for everyone. Absolutely. But that record and things like that need to be part of our cultural fabric. You know what I mean? You can't have like, cause someone doesn't agree with it. You can't have someone selling opinion as truth because it's, it's all subjective stuff, you know, and, and, and in this day and age, comedians you know, uh, you know musicians and artists are being shut down by like people who want to sell opinion as truth. and I think that that's another reason why I think you and I selected this record to talk about because it is a very important part of uh, the culture you know and, and and understanding that sometimes humor is applied and it's off color humor absolutely it's not for everyone and it's not for, and if it's not for you, your freedom is to not listen to it is to not take this media in but you do not have the right to shut down other people's freedom that they want to check out things that you think are obscene or offensive.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said that any better, man. I, I feel the same way. I feel everyone has the right to express themselves however they want to, uh, you know. And these guys have made this clear <laughs> since 1985 that this is a joke, okay? Yeah. You, know, to pull, uh, you know, I'm going to pull a few things from the interview. I already referenced with Danny. Um, You know, Billy Milano, the vocalist for SOD, he's kind of taken on in a lot of ways the Sergeant D character. Now, Sergeant D was a character
0: that Scott Ian developed during the recording session for Spreading the Disease. You know, Scott Ian, being a huge comic book guy, uh, you know, would would draw, would draft up this character, uh, uh, Sergeant D. And he'd have these, like, slogans, you know, speak English or die, uh, you know, I'm not racist, I hate everybody, like, right, stuff like that, right, you know? Right,
1: right, right. Um, and I, I, ironically enough, like, uh, Billy Milano does seem like Sergeant D come to life. And he was just the fucking perfect choice for someone to execute this material. What, what was the name Tom, of the band he was in before this? The Psychos. Psychos. Yeah, but he was yeah, a bass good. player. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, he didn't sing for the Psychos, you know. They were like an old New York City hardcore punk yeah. band, whatever. A seven CB's era, early '80s. Um, but he, he, I think more than anybody else in the band catches a lot of this heat. But what Danny shed some light on uh, during that interview, and I guess in other interviews too, I just never realized it. That Danny and Scott Ian wrote. All but two songs lyrically, they wrote all the. They wrote all the offensive shit. As Danny said, me and Scott wrote. Ian wrote the most fucked up lyrics. Billy wrote "Pie Alpha New, which is about a fraternity, <laughs> and "Milk," which is about not having any milk for your cereal after you're hungover in the morning. <laughs> but he is, without a doubt, the guy who catches the heat. Oh yeah, yeah. about being you know a xenophobe, about being you know racist about being misogynistic um these guys have made this clear since day one this is a joke and i understand like you said this is not for everybody yeah but i plead with people out there that are they say they're champions of free speech that means all speech that's correct not just what you find offensive and don't find offensive uh there's a lot of you know, I am not a racist. I don't believe you should be xenophobic or misogynistic. I don't believe in any of that. But I enjoy this record the same way I enjoy Andrew Dice Clay mm-hmm. or Eddie Murphy or The Mentors. Oh, yeah. Or the Black Flag spin off band, The Nig Heist. Right?
0: That's right. Yeah. That's it with Mugger as the singer. Greg Gannon on guitar. Right. Yeah. These bands are all very offensive. Intentionally offensive. Intentionally Over offensive. the top. Right. Trying, you know, using irony as like a method of getting their point across.
1: And I'm going to one more time, I'm going to quote Danny from the interview, and then I'll, we can move on from that. He was uh, referencing the band Mayhem, the Norwegian black metal band. Uh, when someone asked Attila, the singer, about, you know, some of their stuff that's, you know, left of center. And he said, you know, the idea is to provoke. Yeah. And that's exactly it, man. Like- you gotta have a sense of humor. If you don't like this record, don't listen to it. But to like wave this flag that this record shouldn't exist, and I, I get it, I I get it, and it's your right. But I, you know, I believe in free speech for everybody. You can take it or leave it. Well, especially
0: in this day and age when there are real real issues out there, you know what I mean. And in in, in a lot of ways, this whole crackdown on music and uh, you know heavy metal musicians. Is almost like a distraction from the the real shit that's going on in in our country, in our lives, and you know there there actually are people out there that are that their rights are being taken away, you know, and I'm talking about ICE, you know, and the real 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 shit shit that's going on, you know, not some dude making fun of you know whatever, you know what I mean? It's like and now now we can talk about Stormtroopers of Death and Billy Milano and crew, you know, right? And I also want to bring up is that uh, Danny and Scott Ian are both
1: Jews. Who wrote these offensive lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, I said I wasn't going to quote Danny from the interview, but I will (laughs) one more time because, you know, whatever. You know, he said two Jews and two Italians from New York made this record. So to put all these other misconceptions on it, that there's there's racism involved. It's just kind of silly. If you can't figure out the joke, that's kind of on you. Yeah, I agree with that. So just real quick, since uh, the personnel
0: in the band, if anyone who doesn't know this by now, it's Scott Ian on guitar, Dan Loker Loker on bass, Billy Milano on vocals, and the incredible Charlie Benante on drums, one of my favorite thrash drummers. Even though Anthrax is not one of my favorite bands, I think his drumming has always been on point. Uh, Yeah, and there's
1: also some talk that maybe the first blast beat was played by Charlie Benante on this record. See in the song Milk. There's a debate
0: about that. Oh no, I'm sorry about this. Actually, the first use of double kick was was with Anvil, right? Shit, I don't know. Yeah, I think someone I think the first double kick in heavy metal was by Anvil on their on their stuff.
1: But yeah, the first blast might have been by Charlie Bernante. Yeah. There's it's, these are debatable things. Yeah. You I know, mean, people like these are the p- things people like to argue about. Maybe we'll do an episode on the first blast beat one day. When when did um uh, scum by Napalm Death come out. That was that's the first record I thought of. Yeah, that's the only well, thing that might be debatable. But that's it, so poorly executed that who knows if it gets credit <laughs> for being the first. I blast. think it was '87 that came out. Ah, okay. So that would be a few years after this, right? Um, yeah, I agree though. Charlie is a beast. And another uh, thing about Charlie is uh, the song "United Forces." Charlie does the guitar solo on that song. Wow! And live. Uh, sometimes when they play that song live they do a switcheroo and scott ian would play the drums and charlie would play that song live on guitar huh interesting yeah
0: very talented guy Mm. very yeah you know it's uh when i remember when i first got this record i got it on a cassette and uh actually someone gave it to me i'll tell you what happened here it's like i was in high school and um this dude that I'm still friends with to this day, one of the few people that I'm friends with from that era of my life, he gave me this cassette and he was like, this is too fucked up for me. And it's like, if you, I know you like fucked up shit. So it's like, you can have it if you want it, you know? And, and, uh, so I'm like, Oh, thanks, man. I, the cover looked great. You know, it was like a skull with a, you know, a, a combat helmet on and, looks like it's right up my alley, you know what I mean? It's got like skulls of war when I was a kid. So, <laughs>
1: what kid doesn't?
0: Yeah. And uh the Jimi Hendrix uh you know song that's like the one that really grabbed me as being funny, you know. I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's just like and and I'm like a young kid. I'm like 16 I think at the time maybe. And um I'm thinking to myself. I'm like, "Yeah, this is actually the music's cool. It's like right in line with the things I was starting to get into. You know, and um, you know, I was into Metallica and all that sort of, you know, and obviously I was into Anthrax. But at the time, I didn't know that any members of Anthrax were in the band. Right. It was just given, this cassette was given to me,
1: "Stormtroopers of Death. And I thought it was it was pretty awesome. These were back in the days when, you know, sometimes you didn't know who was in what band. You couldn't just go on Facebook and, you know, look up the band. Yeah, totally. Like, sometimes these things didn't come to you till later. But, uh yeah, before I forget, too, we were talking about Charlie and what a talented guy he is. Now, Scott Ian is the guy who created, you know, the Sergeant D character and was making all these sketches in the studio where the idea of the band was born. But when it came time to make the record, to reference the artwork, the cover of the record, Charlie Benante did the artwork. Really? Yes. He drew Sergeant D on the cover. That's like, a- Which makes me wonder why he hasn't didn't do more art after that, or has he? And I just don't know. Maybe maybe he has. We should look into that. But yeah, that's because, like a pretty involved, like. Uh, yeah. Can
0: you imagine that? Like some guy's like,
1: "Oh, I like to try that," and then he just <laughs> right. does this incredible like artwork. No disrespect here to Pusshead because he's one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah. But when I, you know, when I was younger, I almost thought that maybe that was a a Pusshead piece. It's Pusshead esque for sure. Yeah. But for him to just pull that out and be like, "Yeah,"
0: let, let me go get the record.
1: <laughs> Mike is holding the double LP version, and I have the CD version here. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is very pusshead esque, right? On, a, on, you know, maybe if you look a little yeah. closer. It's not quite up to those. Standards. Yeah, the
0: execution's not quite there. But then again, it's by a dude who's not trying to
1: put himself out
0: there as an artist. You know, right?
1: I mean? But I always loved that image. I always thought it was great. You know, hmm. so I thought that was interesting about about
0: Charlie. So this record has come
1: out in many.
0: Many different formats.
1: Yes. We're both holding the 2015 30th anniversary version of uh, Speak English or Die. And the cool thing about this version, more so than the previous ones, is both the LP and the CD include what's called the Crab Society North demo.
0: Yes. That's also on the download in iTunes as well. It is. Yeah, the full maxed out version of this record.
1: Yeah, so they didn't uh, they didn't fuck around with this version, all formats, even the digital gets all the bonus stuff. Um, so that
0: second LP is um, is the Crab Society uh, demo release. Yeah. Oh, cool.
1: Um, which was, according to what I've read, this history on this is a little spotty. It's, it's, I've read a few different things, but uh, July first, nineteen eighty five, this demo was made on a Walkman in the kitchen <laughs> at Pyramid Sound. The wow. studio. It's kitchen. Uh fifty nine tracks of mostly improvised songs. The tracks, Jim Gordon, Bubble Butt, Mike's personal favorite, <laughs> and Bush Wacketees all would end up on the first MOD album. And not as S O D song. And M O
0: D once again, for the benefit of anyone out there who's not familiar with this nonsense we're talking about, is Billy Milano's band he did after S.O.D. After this all this stuff
1: came out, Billy went on to do M.O.D., Method of Destruction. Right. And I guess there was supposed to be a follow-up S.O.D. record fairly quickly, and that dissolved, and it, that's when Billy formed M.O.D., took the ideas, the rough ideas for some of these songs with him, and the opening track on that M.O.D. record is called Aren't You Hungry? That was, I guess, an S.O.D. song that was going to be on the album and just for whatever reason didn't end up on the album. But uh, just to warn people, the Crab Society North demo is really raw and really rough. And if you're expecting an S.O.D., you know, some rougher versions of those songs, it's not quite that. It's, yeah, it's it's more like uh, like the Scum Napalm Death era. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's more like that kind of stuff. Yeah, like if you s- played Scum on like an old warp cassette and then recorded that with like a shitty boombox, it might sound like Crab Society North.
0: <laughs> and there's
1: like what like sixty five songs. I think it's fifty nine tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then well, days later they went in and recorded the album.
0: Now they got a lot of mileage out of this. Like, I mean, essentially they recorded the record for free, <laughs> if right? You think about it. It's right. like you know the major label that put out "Spreading the Disease," right? Uh, which I mean, the name of the label escaped me at the moment. They were paid for this session, <laughs> right? And uh, and this record was the the out the a pr- product, a byproduct of recording "Spreading the Disease," and. um Quite a lot of mileage was gotten from these songs, if you ask
1: me. Oh yeah, uh, they did go out uh, and do some some touring for this record. Uh, they did some dates with Motorhead and the Plasmatics. That's awesome. Which is a pretty sick tour. Yeah, if you think about that. Um, but as this record came out and they did this tour, like it kind of started to explode. And uh, you know, rumor has it some of the other guys in Anthrax did not like that. And took exception to that. So, people, uh, you know, the rumor is that's why the second SOD record didn't happen, and the band kind of dissolved for a while because there was some de- some tension between the, you know, with the attention that the SOD record was getting, there would be like moments when uh, uh, Danny Spitz would be playing a lead on stage, and like people in the crowd would be yelling SOD, SOD, you know, and I guess those it got to those guys. Wow. So there was uh, some intervention style shit happening from from what I've heard. <laughs> and that's Damn. why that uh, S.O.D. kind of just fizzled away after that short burst.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. I always thought that this record, I mean, I knew they did that tour. Um, but I always thought this record was just sort of just like this obscure underground thing that only a few people got into. And that's what I mean. Once again, it's the 80s. And like, you know, for me, I was like living in my hometown of Carmel, New York you know, where nothing ever happens. And occasionally a cassette by a band like SOD shows up. Right. But you don't know in the bigger scheme of things where all this stuff fits. So I, I didn't, I had no idea that anyone besides for me and like the five people that I knew
1: liked this record. Yeah. I mean, I think this record too, uh, it really, it encapsulates everything like cool about the eighties and the underground music scene, you know, Could be the first crossover record. Like we said, that's debatable. But, you know, it encompasses New York Hardcore, which was great at the time. The Thrash scene was just great at the time. And then, like, even some of the song titles, you know, the ones that weren't, quote-unquote, offensive. Songs like Freddy Krueger, like slasher movies around that time were, you know. To me, anyway, that was part of my growing up as a teenager in the 80s was, you know, going to a video store, renting horror movies, So this record just had everything on there, man. For me, at that time, I got it. I was like, I just loved everything about it. Yeah, slasher movies in the
0: 80s. That was the heyday of the slasher film. You know, late 70s, 80s. That was like the the epoch of that world of of films. Um, What I've read is that Scott Ian wanted to do a hardcore band. And this was the result. So, in a way, it is like kind of like a natural crossover of a guy, a heavy metal guy like Scott Ian, you right, know, wanting to being like infatuated with New York hardcore, and then making a record with hardcore in mind, yet having this incredibly metallic like vibe to it. So, I'm gonna weigh in. I'm gonna. I think. I think on the actual crossover episode. I think I said something. I tried to like parlay uh, the first suicidal record as being like the first crossover record. You did. But I think I'm going to revise my statement and say that this S.O.D. record is probably the first uh, crossover record.
1: You made some good points about the suicidal record, for sure. <laughs> I, I was never totally on board with that, but you did make a good argument. But I would have to say this one would be my choice, too. And, like... The thing with Scott Ian wanting to do a hardcore band, like him and a couple of the other guys in Anthrax, you know, Charlie, they would like go to CB's yeah, and check out some of these hardcore matinees and stuff. But it was these guys had long hair, yeah, in metal bands. Yeah. This might be really hard for someone to grasp that's younger than us. Back in those days, the hardcore metal scene were two different things, and you could go to a hardcore show, you had long hair, you might get your ass kicked just because you had long hair, yeah. Um, but Billy Milano, yeah, well that's that's what I heard too. I never and I never seen it or took part in it. but it was a common thing, I guess back then. But Billy Milano kind of was almost like those guys escort at CBs. Billy Milano and Roger Murray would like make it okay. like hey, these guys are okay. So that's how they became kind of integrated into that scene and that's how Billy ended up singing on this record.
0: Yeah, New York hardcore in general. Always had like a, I mean, that mid-period stuff had like a metallic vibe to it, you know. Even you know, like chrome mags. Yeah. Uh, not not so much the first AF, but you know, subsequent records. Um, you know, one voice is like a straight up crossover record too. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you mean crossover? I mean, cause co- yeah. uh, well, that one, but the one after that one has actual like thrash riffs on it. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 I think Matt Henderson plays guitar on that and uh, Crumbsuckers. Crumbsuckers. Yeah. yeah. So there's always been like this uh, uneasy marriage of heavy metal and,
1: and punk in New York hardcore yeah absolutely you know it's just it's funny to talk about it now because we've come such a long way it's just like hardcore metal kind of goes hand in hand now it's not really like a it is still separate I guess in some ways but not really yeah you know not really This you know hate breed tours with the Cro-Mags and whatever all this stuff is just kind of crammed together, but things were so much different back then, so much separate. Uh, it was, it's interesting to see where we are now compared to where we were when this record came out. Yeah. So
0: anyone out there who is new to this show, um, definitely go back and listen to the Dan Lilker episode. Definitely. Because, you know, Randy had some some excerpts from that. But, yeah, he's a, a great dude, fascinating guy. He's a, a, a treasure in extreme music really, if you think about it. He's been part of the formation of so many great bands. You know, he's played in so many great bands. He's in, his involvement in the in the extreme music scene is uh is like extensive. And um he's someone that you should know about if you don't know who he is already. And that interview I did with him uh last year or whatever, two years ago at this point maybe.
1: Or was it last year? It was yeah, it was last summer. Yeah last summer yeah,
0: it was like a year ago, yeah is is uh is it was pretty awesome my voice was a little shot because we you know i blew it out the night before playing a gig you know but uh but he was great and then of course there's the crossover episode that randy and i did uh in one of the first 10 episodes of the show and um we talk about sod and a lot of these other bands we were talking about tonight like um you know, the super, I, I bring up my faulty argument about Suicidal's first record being... <laughs> it's <laughs>
1: nice of you to admit you're wrong. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I had some time to think about
0: it. And um, I think, like, I always try to, like, take, like, another viewpoint than what's normally considered. And I think that in this time around, it kind of bit me in the ass a little bit because I think that if you... Asked me, walked up to me on the street and told me, asked me to give you your, my opinion about the first Suicidal record. I would say, oh, clearly that's a hardcore punk record. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to say that, yeah, that's a hardcore punk record. One of the more extreme
1: hardcore punk records, but definitely not a crossover record. What they did later, for sure, was crossover. I would say ju- the second Suicidal record, Joined the Army. You know, which didn't come out too long after that. Yeah. That one's way more of a crossover record. A little bit of a personnel change, yes. which I think brought that element to it. Rocky George. Yeah, Rocky right. George. Um, so I mentioned earlier, too, like, you know, the list goes on and on with, with people that cite this record as influential. Um, you know, some of those people in the metal scene are, uh, you know, Dave Woody, <laughs> yeah. Municipal Waste, yep. Burned yep. by the Sun. The list goes on and on. Dave's sick, amazing drummer. Uh, Ross Dolan from Immolation he says a lot of nice things to say about this record. Um, Alex Webster, Cannibal no. Corpse, yeah, man. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on. But like, outside of the metal, well, I guess Al Jorgensen from Ministry, I guess, could be considered part of the metal scene. I don't consider him to be a metal musician at all, really. All right, some people do, but not me. You'll probably admit you're wrong down the road about this. No, because like uh, no, I'll, I'll bring
0: up, I'll bring up every day is Halloween. <laughs> When Al Jorgensen, before he had dreads, was singing in a fake English accent. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy ministry, because I do. Um,
1: So uh, I read an interview with him, and he said, uh, you know, this album inspired him to add the thrash metal style riffs into the band's songs starting in 1989. Um, With The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste. Great record. Yeah. And then uh, a story from Scott Ian says he ran into Eddie Vedder. Oh, God. You ever hear of him? Yeah. <laughs> he plays in some band. Still in Temple Pilots, I think. Um, said he ran into him at a party. Uh, I'm not sure when this was, but uh, he said, Scott Ian said he uh, cornered him for like 25 minutes, telling him how important that record was to him and how it affected his life. Really? Eddie Vedder said that? Yeah, and like Eddie Vedder seems like a guy. Obviously, I don't know Eddie Vedder. He seems like a guy who takes himself way too seriously. <laughs> So for him to, like, you know, say that about a record with a lot of controversy, uh, you know, just makes me think, like, how important this record is. Or Eddie Vedder's just completely full of shit, which is also a possibility. The thing I don't like about Eddie, I'm not a Pearl Jam fan. I never
0: have been. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like his voice at all. And uh, I bet he's a really cool guy. Like, he seems to be, you know, interested in interesting things or whatever. He has, like, cool things to say occasionally. Uh, But, I mean, I saw that documentary. What's it called 21, I think? Yeah, 20. 20 or whatever it's called. Pretty cool. Like, it was good as a a documentary, but I never, I don't have any emotional ties to the band. And the one thing I find really annoying about Eddie Vedder is when he sings over guitar solos.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I never noticed that. Yeah,
0: there's, like... There's like a guy. One of the guitars will be taking a solo, and he's like got a croon in the background. You know, there's like some vocal thing going on over a guitar solo. Is he
1: like mimicking the guitar solo? No,
0: but he's just doing his thing. I don't know. It's just like yeah, I'm like, I, well, you know,
1: I you know I don't. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Pearl Jam. I like some of their earlier material. Uh, I don't really ever go back to it. I don't keep up with what they do. But uh, he always kind of just fucking annoys me. Yeah. You know, you know. For mul- multiple reasons, he annoys me.
0: One, one of the only bands I think it's cool to have a guitar solo and vocals at the same time is Integrity, really. It's you know, <laughs> like the only time I. You know,
1: there's a guitar solo all the time. Yeah. Man. That's <laughs> that's like when,
0: when the two things can exist in the same space is on Integrity songs. So,
1: you know, but other than that, I think you should kind of give the guitarist his room to do his thing, you know? When I, yeah, when I get, you know, uh, turned on all these Seattle bands man i was always more of a Soundgarden, garden alice in chains guy pearl jam was just kind of like i don't know man It was a little too light for me a lot of the times yeah i
0: mean especially um you know i i learned about all this stuff like in in retrospect obviously but um understanding that mother love bone was actually supposed to be the band right you know what i mean and i, I could have got behind that because i i enjoy mother love bone i liked him quite a bit and you know Andy Wood, I think, was a great singer, a very totally creative guy who brought in if he had lived, can you imagine like how awesome that scene would have been because he was such a unique creative force. He was into like Bowie and he was pulling like T Rex into this whole mix. It wasn't just like a bunch of dudes in flannel shirts. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And and I was listening to Soundgo on the way over here. It's, uh, they've always been my favorite band from that whole scene. Them and Skin Yard, who we, yep. we talked about. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. never
1: achieved the, you know, popularity. Of, oh, yeah. But. But, um, but yeah, great, great bands. Me too, though. Soundgarden would be my, um. but, you know, we should probably stop talking about this. Yeah, it. we're okay, getting off the point here. Yeah, if Billy Milano hears that, like, was talking about Pearl Jam during this, he's not going to make a He's, he's going to be upset. Yeah. So, yeah. We might fucking get run over by the hay tank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but you know, I don't, you know, this is just a story I read about Eddie Vedder's love for speak English or die. I, I'd like to see Eddie get in front of a camera, tell people how much he loves speak English or die. Then maybe I'd have a little bit more respect for him. Yeah. <laughs> maybe.
0: MTV oft also utilized, uh, that the track off that record. And, uh, for that, that was for all through the eighties, right? That was like the intro song. It's a headbangers ball, right? Yeah. The headbangers yes, ball.
1: It was. Yep, yeah, Absolutely. Um. Yeah, I mean, so this this record, man, it just reaches so many, like you said earlier, there's a lot of miles out of these songs. You know, and there were, uh, after they stopped playing there, uh, 85, they reunited in 87. They did the Live at Budokan, which was funny because it was recorded in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a spin off the Cheap Trick Live at Budokan album. Right. Um. Uh, you know, they would always find new ways to shove it up people's ass, you know, which I just think is... I think is genius, you know? Um, you know, and some of the other, like, you go back to the lyrics real quick. I mean, there were, at the time, there was a magazine called Maximum Rock and Roll. Oh, yeah. Based in the West Bay, you know, San Francisco area. And, you know, they're known for being very uptight, very PC. Um, and they had a big problem with a lot of uh, New York hardcore <laughs> bands, like Gnostic Front and Cro-Mags. And, you know, they had, they had a lot of not-so-nice things to say about these bands that, in the end, really, I think, end up being unjust. So, you know, SOD was friends with these guys and they took exception to that. So part of the reason they wrote some of these lyrics were basically just to stick it to those guys. You know, that's why a lot of these lyrics are written is just to stick it to people. Um, they were never meant to be taken seriously, but once again, decide that for yourself. I mean, if you think about it, it's like and I'm sure, you know, if
0: you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who's into extreme shit, really you know, it's like, you probably like horror films. You probably like violence in movies, <laughs> like, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, if you're, if you're into the, you just, there's like an environment that exists where you're watching like Halloween and some dude with a knife, like slicing up women and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, real, real, the real darker underbelly of reality is something that you're exploring, you know, the ugliness. And I think that you understand that the, this stuff like the same way that slasher films are like a sort of ironic way of looking at violence that it's an over the top statement and i think that's kind of like what bands like sod present to people you know what i mean and also it is meant to provoke right and i think that if you're getting upset by listening to this record then they they've actually succeeded because that's there that was their whole you know point
1: anyway Jokes on you, so to say, you know. And the it, it misogyny thing—like, show me an '80s horror movie, slasher movie. You could, you could point your finger at almost any of them. Uh, most of the violence is against women: stabbed, choked, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's if you're gonna open that door, man, you gotta open that door. But
0: also, I want to bring up about slasher films in the '80s. Usually, the one who ends up At the end, surviving and dealing with the the slasher is a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like kind of like all the guys get killed. You know, a bunch of women get killed, but at the end, you know, Laurie Strode. You know what
1: I mean? But the point being is, a bunch of people get killed, and that's why you watch the movie. Yeah, right. Enjoy that. That's for true. entertainment purposes it doesn't mean you're gonna go kill somebody just like I'm not gonna listen to this record and go like you know punch a you know Arab guy <laughs> absolutely not yeah. it's it's all entertainment it all it yeah. is what it is you but know? you know
0: if we can get like uh, you know sort of philosophical for a minute you know we're the fact that uh, we live in a society where everything is done for us and it's been like that for over a hundred years really where we get up in the morning we go to some job you know we can go we don't have to hunt we don't have to run away from predators we don't have like a a, a tribe coming into our hunting ground that we have to face um, you know we, we can meet women you know some some of us can <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh we don't have to like carry them off from like a neighboring tribe or something like that you know what I mean but our our brains haven't really change that much and our physiology hasn't changed at all so all these darker off color more extreme things I think are satisfying this in a healthy way kind of like satisfying a lot of these urges that we have as as hominids you know what I mean Right. and I think that's why people are fascinated with like darkness and this kind of off color stuff and especially when humor is applied to it you know it makes it even less a little bit more benign too you right. know what I'm trying to say? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Um, yeah, you know, we could we could go on and on and on about this and the lyrics and stuff like that. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of summing up a little bit for me. I just think this record is a classic record. I think it's a fucking kick-ass record. I still enjoy it today as much as when I heard it the first time. Um, favorite tracks for you on this record? Oh, the Milano Mosh, man. That's, that's <laughs> great. That's
0: great. Stupid question. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chromatic Death is cool. I like the riff in that. I mean, I, you know, that's like, uh, I know that's the MTV Headbangers Ball like intro, but right. it's like, there's a reason why they picked that song.
1: It's undeniable, man. Yeah. And, like, if you go and, and read interviews with these guys, metal guys that were influenced by this, like, one of the things that really right away grabs you was how heavy the, the guitar and bass tones were. And if uh, you ever pick up uh, Danny Looker had a book come out called Perpetual Conversion a few years back. You know, there's a good bulk of it is about S.O.D. and the recording of their record. And uh, he gets into detail about how they got these sounds, you know, what pedals, what basses, and all that technical stuff. Uh, But a lot of people at that time, man, they hadn't heard guitars that crunchy, bass that distorted and, like, in your face. You know, it's, like, it's undeniably powerful and undeniably good. And if you're a a fan of, you know, extreme music, hardcore metal, I don't know how you couldn't like this. Maybe maybe a young kid today, the world's a lot different. But like when this came out, man, if you were a fan of that music, I everyone I knew liked this record. I didn't know anyone who was like, "Oh, the SOD record sucks." Everyone liked it. Yeah,
0: I I, I agree with you on that. You know, but like I said, it's not for everybody. Some people say tomato, some people say tomato, some people <laughs> like SOD, and some people don't. And that's just. That's the way life is.
1: Yeah. I, you know, and I, you know, I got to say in some ways, this record, like it kind of defines the type of person that I want to be friends with. Yeah. Like I don't really want to, I mean, I'm interested in all kinds of people and what they have to say and don't say, but I don't really want to spend time and have a conversation with someone who, who doesn't appreciate this record for what it is and can't see the humor. And it. I really don't like everything's too fucking serious uh, you know, I type of person I want to hang out with. If we can have a discussion like me and you have having and appreciate this record for what it is. Um, it's a quote, a friend of mine, lousy Phil, <laughs> a critic of our show. He said something to me today. He said, we need SOD now more than ever. I agree. And I, I think agree so. Too. Yeah. I think it was kind of a summed up, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, so yeah so anyway, enjoy this record
0: if uh, if you haven't heard it already, please check it out but also understand that it's done in a humorous manner it's uh, lampooning some of the more extreme viewpoints that exist out there so and that's it man that's all I think we got to say about this one unless you got more to say No man we'll just send this episode out to uh, the douche crew. <laughs> long live the douche yeah. crew that, uh, that Danny Loker book looks awesome I, have, I don't have a copy
1: of that yet yeah everyone who's a fan of anything Danny's ever done musically get Danny's book it is a great read uh, a lot of great pictures, flyers history of everything he's ever done uh, it's really great and Danny's a great guy and you should support him and also if you guys are interested in Danny Loker and Crossover you should check out the
0: two episodes where we talk to Danny and we talk about Crossover and we yes. touch on a lot of these things. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, the Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.